It's been a, a, an interesting week. Um, it was Australia Day last Monday. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, on the Sunday, the day before, our youngest daughter got back from Paris, something that she'd arranged quite a long time ago. But she's actually late to start uh, a graduate diploma in theology at the Sydney Missionary and Bible College in Sydney. So on Tuesday of this week, we jumped in her car because she wants her car in Sydney and we drove across the country in four days. Thousand k's a day and then I flew home last night to be with you this morning. So the context of my preparation is that uh, this week. So I'll do my best but so many good things came from that and I would encourage anyone to do that. And she was astounded at how fruitful the time was, particularly that whole experience of leaving things behind. As you go, as you go east, you, you're leaving things behind and every morning the sun rises. And that alone is an expression of newness and opportunity. And she said, Dad, I had no idea how beautiful this country would be. I just thought it would be a big obstacle to get over. But it was just beautiful. So priority, perspective, purity, promise are the four weeks of Haggai. And so today we're looking at kingdom priority, priorities. And Haggai was a Kieran and Barb's suggestion, but they said, you can do it. They chose it and then they said, I can do it. So there you go. And then I got to work and I found, wow, there are so many kind of coincidences in this book for me personally as I read it and thought about it. And one of the first ones, and please, I'm not, when I, I say these, these were just things that I went, oh, I'm not making a meal of them. I'm just going, oh, that's interesting. Um, the people in the book of Haggai had returned from Babylon, Iran, Iraq, out that way. Uh, they'd been taken into exile out there. They'd been there 70 years and they'd returned and they had been back in Jerusalem 16 years Michelle and I start our 16th year at St Philip's this year. We've been here 16 years. I just thought, oh, that's interesting. And then you see that what their thing is is that they haven't rebuilt the temple. They've lost their way in some way and they've got busy building their own houses. I've just renovated a house. <laughs> but more than that, the thing that is extraordinary about the houses that they rebuild is that they're panelled houses, wood panelled houses. Now, the incredible thing about Israel is there's not, not much wood. Um, there's lots of stone. Jesus was a tecton, which actually means a builder, not a carpenter, a builder. And they mostly, like 99% mostly, build out of stone. So to get wood and panel your house was a deep commitment to your house. 
Well, I went down to Diggers and Truckers in Stubbs Terrace, Shenton Park, and what did I find? A truckload of cedar panelling that I've used on my house. So I just thought, well, that's interesting. And then there's the question that Haggai raises, where are you? Where am I in relation to God's presence and purpose in your life right now? Where are you? Where are you at? Temple, ruins, panelled house? Just the question, where, where are you at? And I think that's a question that, you know, I'm just asking myself, which is a good question. And then a prophet speaks. And I thought, I wonder if I'd really be open to the voice of a prophet. You know, someone says something's to you and you go, nah, 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 like you said, Judge. Nah, 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 nah. Would I be open to the voice of the prophet as you start 2020? So those things were relevant to me. These were themes that impacted me. And they're the sort of themes that impact us all if we've got ears to hear. So Haggai is kind of one marvellous metaphor of our lives in so many ways. And it raises simple questions like, have you had any reflection on your priorities for 2020? Uh, There are your priorities. Have you asked God what his priorities are for you as you start 2020s? And I wonder if your priorities and his priorities have anything to do with each other. Um, I wonder if you've asked the one who truly is the lover of your soul, you know, the one who really loves you in your life in the world, what your priorities should be. And I found myself wondering if I have. So a little bit of quick context. It's 2,600 years ago, 6th century BC, And it was a peaceful time in Israel because the Persians had conquered the Babylonians. Yes, that brought peace because the Babylonians were a punch-drunk bunch of thugs, very, very eminent but brutal. And the Persians, and they were so busy fighting each other that that left a gap for the Persians to rise up and overwhelm the Babylonians. And you'd think, oh, poor Babylon. No, actually, many of the Babylonians were glad that Cyrus had come to rule them because Cyrus was a peacemaker and a rebuilder, a recalibrator and a freer of people to flourish. And that's the way he chose to lead, whereas the Babylonians looked after themselves and made you a slave. So Cyrus... Uh, overcame Babylon. He died in a battle. His son Cambyses uh, rose up. He too fairly quickly died in a battle. And then one of uh, the generals, Darius, who features in this and Zechariah uh, Zechariah next, um, Darius rose up and he becomes a big figure. He was one of uh, Cambyses' generals and uh, he had 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 a bit of a little bit of mopping up to do. Slap, slap, slap. Uh, And once he'd mopped up, he got back to Cyrus's program of restoration and renewal and return of people to their land. So around about 50,000 Jews 
mostly the aristocracy and the intelligentsia who'd been taken over to Babylon about 70 years later were then allowed to return to Jerusalem, which of course was in ruins as a result of uh, the the punch-up that had taken place under Babylon. So that's the context. But when they got back... They jumped into this rebuilding task as soon as they got back. And I love, this, I love this phrase, but they ran into headwinds. They ran into headwinds. Not everyone was pleased that they were back. And they were getting some pushback. They were being called narrow, bigoted. People were suspicious of them. They were bad news. They were a dangerous sect standing out in the wrong way. And interestingly enough, they were a dangerous sect amongst their own people because when this 50,000 people had come back, they met the riffraff who had been left in the land. The Samaritans who keep popping up in Jesus' day were some of that riffraff that had been left in the land. And they weren't very keen on this new bunch of 50,000 zealots that had come round with all their passion and vigour and were throwing their weight around and were smarter than everybody else and better engineers and more talented and had a plan. And They weren't terribly... So there was this pushback. And what did they do? They got discouraged. Just fit in and shut up was the message. Ever had that in your life? Just fit in and shut up and you'll be all right. So their enthusiasm about building the temple became, it's not time to rebuild the temple just now. And the point about that is, is that the temple is representative of something in these prophetic books. It's a representative of God's presence in your life. The temple was, in a sense, the place where God dwelled and that's where you'd come. For us, it's the fact that God by his spirit in Christ dwells in you. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So if you get this picture that essentially they'd snuffed out the call of God in their lives... And what do you do when you snuff out the call of God in your life? You've got to get busy doing something, don't you? So you start a business or you build a house and go and get panelled wood for it. So that's what they're doing. But there's an interesting result. Look at what's really happening. Haggai says, what are you really doing? Where are you really looking? Look what's happening, he says. You're planting a lot but not harvesting much. You're eating, but you're never full. You're drinking, but constantly thirsty. You're putting on lots of clothes, but you're always cold. You're earning as much money as you can, but you can never keep up with expenses. Think about your ways and your story and how far God's brought you and get back to the things that would matter because a kind of a leanness has descended on their lives. 
build my house. And two things will happen, Haggai says. It will, it will bring pleasure and I will be honoured and bless you. Focus on your relationship with me, in other words, and it will bring you pleasure, way more pleasure than all these other things that you're busy doing that you think will bring you pleasure and think will bless you. I blew it away, Haggai says. God says he just went to all your plans. Blew it away. Why? Because that sort of, dis, or that sort of focus dishonours me and leads to leanness for you. So that's the message of Haggai. What's the thing in this place of leanness? Stop. Repent. So a couple of quick observations as we wrap it up. That's the story. That's what's going on. Firstly, and just a statement, just because you're prospering doesn't mean you're righteous. I'll just leave that one with you. And just because you're not prospering doesn't mean you're righteous either. And vice versa. That's just clearly there, and I'll leave it with you. Secondly in Haggai is this centrality of time. Of time. Again and again and again. And the centrality of time raises the centrality of priority. What is it time for? We're starting 2020. In four weeks I'm going on a sabbatical, a time to reflect. I don't know what you're doing this year. But the question is what are they doing with their time? What's going on? The time has not yet come to rebuild the temple, they decide, in verses 2 and 4. So what is time for? What they're doing with the time is, one, they're listening to the dissenting voice. They're listening to those who say, just shut up, stay quiet, and stop annoying people. They're listening to that voice. And so they're redirecting their energy where? Into their houses. One of the really interesting facts is, Christians, you and me, please me, no one who is serving themselves is ever going to knock you for serving yourself. I'll say it again. No one who's fundamentally serving self is ever going to knock anyone else who's serving self. You'll just become the little group who are all affirming one another on the way. That's just how it is. So they've become a self-serving group that have lost sight of their enthusiastic beginning and it's now 15 years later. They were right onto it at the beginning, but the locals have beaten them down and putting pressure on them to stop. So they back off and build houses. The opposition leads to discouragement and a redirection of energy, and plan A is replaced by plan B. It's interesting, isn't it? So many of us, when we're young, we start off with a plan A life. 
and then so many of us end up living a plan B life. Firstly and secondly. Thirdly, uh, their fine panelled and ultimately uh, homes are ultimately deeply unsatisfying. Deeply unsatisfying. They sit there in front of them, reminding all who see of one, there's this totem to what we've invested in, and as they look at the temple in ruins as a pile of rubble, they see the failure of what they haven't followed through with. And ultimately, that's their relationship with God. You know, Jesus or Paul said to the Corinthians, finish it then with the same willingness you had to begin. Jesus said, who having begun to build doesn't count the cost and see, have, see if they have what it's going to take to finish. The problem wasn't wealth or laziness, and I don't want you to think it is. The problem was losing sight of God and who he is and what our priority, his priority for us is. Investment in plan B seems sensible and obvious when plan A has failed. But is it really? Many of us begin with plan A and don't get there and the rest of our lives negotiates justifying plan B. And this experience gets defined as leanness. Leanness. We drove into Sydney, Claire and I. We were really focused because you can lose it in your head in the last day. She's pretty anxious anyway because Claire has a bit of anxiety. That's one thing that she's wrestled with. So this was a big step for her, even though she's got more front than Myers most of the time. But inside, she's quite anxious. We drove into Sydney and she was really anxious about what she'd find at the Sydney and Missionary Bible College. The first thing we found was 42 degrees humidity, which was a bit unpleasant. The second thing she found was this most beautiful old building. So clearly this place had a long pedigree of training Christians. The third thing that she found was a girl named Lauren. And uh, Lauren was a student there and Lauren said, I would love to help you unpack and show you around. So immediately she had someone who was caring for her. And something that was so affirming for me was that uh, I saw that one of the students, um, her surname was Rater. Now, Mike Rater is uh, one of Australia's leading Bible teachers. He taught at my theological college and we've done uh, night courses here and a lot of the stuff on the video is Mike Rater. And I looked at the thing and I saw, oh, Rater. And I said to Claire with Lauren, I said, oh, one of the exciting things here is that Mike Rader's daughter's here. And Lauren said, yeah, that's me. So the Lauren that was showing Claire around, and she was just sensible and solid, kind and practical. And we felt, well, this could be a good place, Claire, couldn't it? And then Lauren said, let me introduce you to some of the other girls. Now, you may or may not know it, but Cheryl and I spent over a decade uh, in a community Bible college. It was both a community and a Bible college and that's really formed how we think as Christians that the Christian life is lived out there and in community. It's a living organism type thing. 
we sat down with three or four girls who were down to earth, bright, they'd all had lives, they weren't kids, so 26, 27 year old women um, that had careers, three of them had come from the country um, and we shared stories about why they were, were there and a girl named Eliza said, uh, I grew up in Burke in New South Wales. I said, that's interesting, Eliza. Where in Burke? She said, I grew up at uh, Perabore on the Wanaring Road. Well, Perabore was where the community that I, Cheryl and I led um, was. Perabore's not a big place. It's a bore where water comes out and that's where we live. She'd grown up, this kid, Eliza, had grown up for the first five years of her life in the place where Claire's dad had been the academic dean of the community. And then another girl said, oh, that means you must know so-and-so and so-and-so who were just the most stunning couple who influenced us. I remember before we had kids, we went to Jeff and Dawn and we said, how do you raise kids, Jeff and Dawn? I remember sitting there and having that conversation. She said, I have a godmother relationship with Je Jeff and Dawn's kids. I mean, who could pull that together? And Claire's sitting listening to that. Then we got talking about life and one thing and another and Cheryl did mission work on the Gold Coast, believe it or not. Can you imagine her on the Gold Coast? She worked for, for Youth for Christ on the Gold Coast teaching religious education. She was very good at it. Very good at it. And she went for a period of time to the Church of Christ there where a legendary Youth for Christ leader named Stafford Williams was the man. And this girl was from the Gold Coast. And I said, oh, da-da-da, Cheryl, da-da-da-da. And she said, oh, really? Uh, she said, he was part of the Church of Christ. I, I said, my wife went to your church when she was on the Gold Coast. And my daughter, who's a bit anxious, is hearing this and she's meeting down-to-earth kids. The point here is that if you invest in your panelled house because you think it's going to make you happy and comfortable and solid and invest deeply in your, you know, be deep like your relationship with God should be, the point of Haggai is that's not where we need to invest. It's not about laziness or wealth. That's not the point. The point here is our heart and where it's invested. Is it invested in God? Graham Whitley, you are so on fire at the moment because your heart is invested in the kingdom of God in Calabay in Africa and Abullah, the families are out here and the families are back there and he's a light because his kingdom priority is what God's doing. And that's how the investment works. And I'm sitting there with my daughter going... This is me. These kids are me 37 years later. and Because I kind of thought maybe God had given up. You know, it's pretty hard to get our young people to stick now. But God hasn't given up because I can tell you, yesterday I was sitting with them. And these young women have got great lives, and men, but I was talking to the women, are going places. And that's what the CMS conference will be about. I'm not saying we need to be missionaries or anything like that. All I'm saying is that their fine panelled houses were ultimately deeply unsatisfying. So as we finish, 
Haggai gave this property prophecy of why aren't you doing that when you started it? Why have you done that? And look at what's happening. You're so lean. And what, to, what do Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest do? What happens? Rosalie, I heard it. The Spirit of the Lord stirs them up. And what happens? They repent. Now, that hardly ever happens when a prophet speaks. Mostly we go, blah, 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 blah. When's morning tea? They repent. They're stirred in their spirit and they get to work in 2020 doing the thing that God's got for them to do whatever that might be. They start to reflect on what God's priority is and they get on with it or they get back to it. That's what happens. Imagine what would have happened to us if Jesus hadn't set his face towards Jerusalem and gone to the cross and taken the sin of the world and poured his lavish love and forgiveness and inclusion back out on us. Imagine what would have happened if he'd gone and invested somewhere else other than in the presence and purpose of God for his life. They actually repent and they turn around and they get with the, the, the project and they work on the house of the Lord. In other words, they invest in the presence of God in their lives. So that's where Haggai begins this morning. Where is my heart in relation to God and, and others? And when I lose sight of God, how do I get back? How do I prioritise my year this year? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you never lose sight of your purpose. We may feel stalled or tired or cynical. We may feel like we're lying around in rubble and ruins. Uh, we may be in leanness or you never know, we may have just restored our house and planned a big holiday and thinking that'll fix it. But help us today, Lord, to listen to your voice, to resist investing more heavily in myself than is good or healthy, to lay down our practical atheism in some religious guise and to open our hearts to reverence you and take it seriously and experience the declaration in Haggai where God says, if you focus the right way, I am with you. So, Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you for their hearts and their lives. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.